Hello, and welcome back to the Rooted Women's Podcast, a ministry at First Baptist Church in Canyon, Texas, where we strive to encourage the women of our church to be rooted and built up in Christ through God's Word and the local body. I'm Sharon Reagan, and in this series, we're discussing the book Identity Theft, Reclaiming the Truth of Who We Are in Christ. In our last episode, Amy Duggan, Kathy Jackson, Jamie Olson, and Robin Cox discussed the chapter one about what it really meant to have freedom in Christ and the privileges that come with that freedom. If you haven't had a chance to go back, I'd really suggest you listen to that. They did a great job, and it was very um it, it touched me and it meant a lot to me personally. So today we're going to discuss chapter two, Made in God's Image. What is our identity grounded in? How do we and others define ourselves? Is it a, through our roles, our gifting, our personality? And what does it mean to be the image bearer of the Almighty God? Today, I'm very happy to be joined with three other ladies from our church, Julie Solomon, Lindsay Taylor, and Blythe Chapman. Welcome, ladies. Hello. Hi. <laughs> For the sake of our listeners, um, if they don't know you, do y'all mind just going around the circle and briefly telling us a little bit about yourselves? Go for it, Lindsay. Sure. <laughs> I'm Lindsay Taylor, and I've been at First Baptist Canyon for five years. Um, I'm married to Drew, and we have four children, and they keep me pretty busy. Um, I became a believer at age 11, and I just remember being very burdened and just drawn like I had no other choice but to um, ask Christ just to be Lord over my life. And it's a daily commitment and walk in dependence to trust Him. Um, there was just at that age so much sorrow over my sin and repentance. So that's me. It's good. I'm Blythe Chapman, and I came to First Baptist Canyon when I was in college and then kind of took a brief respite while I was working overseas and then came back, and it was just like family embracing me, that I had a place here, and I was known and loved, and that was just so meaningful to come back and know that these these people were my family. Um, I became a believer at a pretty young age. Um, I had a lot of questions, talked to my mom, and my mom was such um, a wise lady and so grounded in the scriptures. And I remember telling her, I want to be with God forever. And she, she took me back to the Bible and talked to me about sin and how God is holy and he can't be with sin and sin has separated us, but that he made a way through Jesus. And I remember sitting with her and I was like, well, if he made a way, then I want it fixed. Like, let, let's take care of this. And um, she talked to me about how Jesus died for my sin and that I could take on, uh, that he took my sin so that I could take on his holiness. And um, so even, I, I was pretty young, but I feel like um, pretty grounded in what was actually happening because my mom talked to me and went back to the scriptures. And I remember her sitting with her Bible open and that that, I, I have a legacy of, family members who sit with their Bible open and how that um, really impacted my story. I'm Julie Solomon, and um, I've been at First Baptist Church um, for about 20 years, and um, my husband is the worship leader, and we have been so blessed by the church, and they've just taken such good care of us and loved us so well. Um, I grew up in a family who loved Jesus. My parents, my my dad was a 
Baptist minister, and uh, my parents taught me how to love God from a really young age. And so when I was about 10 or 11 years old, I started to be aware of my own sin. And in the beginning, I was just so shocked because I really thought that I had it all together and that because I went to church and I followed the rules and did good things and sang songs about Jesus, that that meant that everything was okay. But God began to convict me of my sin, and I was very uh, prideful and resistant to admitting that that sin was there. I kept just making excuses and um, trying to justify and convince myself that, no, no, everything's okay. It's it's all right. And until finally, um, when I was, it was about two years later, I was about 12 and I could not, I just could not stand under the weight of my own guilt anymore. And so I too went and talked to my parents. And that night they got out of bed and we went in the living room and they led me to Jesus. I prayed for God to forgive me. And I can still imagine my dad's big hands as he told me that um, when, when God forgave me, he showed me that my sin was as far as the east is from the west. And I just, I can just picture my dad's hands. And then he brought his hands down to mine and said, and now the Bible says that you're in the palm of God's hand and that you're protected there. And um, when I think about the night that I trusted Christ and and repented of my sin, I think about that and I think about my dad and how he ministered to me and and my faithful parents who loved Jesus. So, yeah. So... We have been um, reading through this second chapter of Identity Theft, and it's been really good and timely for us. And um, I hope that um, if you're listening, I hope that you have a copy of the book and are following along. But if not, just join in and listen to us as we chat about it, um, because I think it'll be um, really good for you. We're going to start off just by talking about um, why we love so much to learn about ourselves. Have you guys ever taken a personality test to learn more about yourself? Yes, I was explaining earlier that um, I took the test. I'm not sure what it's called, but I'm a beaver. Uh-huh. Yeah, Apparently. the animal test. Yes, there's um it's one. very forgettable. I don't remember <laughs> all the characteristics that make me a beaver, but apparently I am. But my favorite test that um inventory that I ever took was the Grit Berkman and um it really was in depth and showed me how to communicate with others and how I communicate and um my particular learning environment mm-hmm. and it showed me a lot about myself. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else you've taken a test? done the Myers-Briggs and the colors test and the Grit Berkman and it's interesting I know you don't always fall into a category but it is also also interesting to see like the things that you do have a tendency towards and even this one time I took it and it said here's how you react when you're under stress and they weren't very (laughs) flattering but I was like oh don't tell me those things I do do that but in looking being able to look at that also seeing my teammates how they reacted under stress it helped me 
not only give them grace because I'm like, oh, they're having like I'm I'm seeing some things, but also know how to maybe alleviate that. Like it's maybe it's not helpful for me to come in and say, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. Instead, it's better if I go make their copies for them. Um, so I think we can use them in good ways, but I think we can also get bob- bogged down in them. Sure. Yeah. Do you know what animal you are? I didn't take the animal one. I took the color one. Oh. I'm green and blue. I bet you're a golden retriever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I would say well, so to you. Probably so. Probably. Well, I have taken, I think, every personality test. Um, I remember taking the first ones when we were in high school. And, um, I, you know, I think they're interesting and I do enjoy them. And I kind of started thinking about when we were reading this chapter, like why that is mm-hmm. for me. And I think some of it is because I really do like knowing like why my brain is thinking the way it is or my emotions and things like that. But I think there's also a danger in it that sometimes I can use that as an excuse and say like, well, that's just my personality. I'm an introvert, so I don't have to deal with people Mm -hmm. and things like that. So I think they can be, you know, helpful, but I also think that they can kind of encourage some of my bad behaviors. Definitely. I think that's one of the things that the that the world likes to to tell us is that whatever however you are that's just how it is and that it can you can't change it and nobody else should expect you to change it is there anybody else that has um you did you like taking personality tests or did you just think that it was um something that was helpful I think just out of curiosity, I liked taking mm-hmm. them, but then I would often look back and pick apart and be like, well, that's not me. Uh-huh. They got yeah. that wrong. Uh-huh. And just like, that's not going to define who I am. Yes, absolutely. So what are some areas that we tend to like identify as like as our core identity when you're, I mean, even just a minute ago when we all introduced ourselves, what are some of the ways that as as humans, as women, we tend to introduce ourselves. I think just circumstances, experiences, mm-hmm. things that you've been through in life, who others say you are, if you're a daughter, mm-hmm. if you're a mother, if you're a wife. Mm-hmm. Marital status seems to be a big one. People are either you know, married or they're not, and that, that's a big part of how people start with who they are. Mm-hmm. I also think it's a big part of how we we find identity sometimes in we and we flounder if if we're not in the category that we want to be in <laughs> yeah we we use a lot of relationships to define ourselves yes. like i'm so and so's parent or i'm their daughter or their spouse or even their employee sometimes yeah yeah well i was also thinking about work because work is a big contributor to how we introduce ourselves either work or if we're students um, it tells people I think we try to pick the categories that say the most about what we do maybe um, or this is how we spend most of our time so we kind of pick some of those categories but have you ever been in a situation where the question of who you are felt unclear because maybe a circumstance in your life had changed or um, maybe even just the way people understood who you were um, and how did that experience change or shape you? Um, I think for me coming back after serving overseas was hard. What I didn't realize was when you leave college everyone feels like that and they're all moving to different places. I just delayed it by a couple of years. So I came back 
and it appeared that all of my peers, they had jobs, and I came back with no job. I had finished my job, and they have a job, and they had a nice apartment or <laughs> a nice car, and I was sharing a car with my mom, and um, I, it was hard. I had to really grapple with who am I when I don't have a job and I don't have a car, and what I thought, like, I, I finished what I set out to be. I, I was going overseas to serve as a journeyman, um, which is a three-year missionary term, um, and then it was done. And so who who was I after that when I came home and when everyone else had a category it seemed that they were in? Like, I was still single and still am, um, but where, like, I needed a job to have status and I needed a place to live to have status. You don't want to say you living with your parents when you're in your late twenties. Um, so that I had to really gr- grapple with how do you, how do you introduce mm-hmm. yourself um, with if, when you don't know who you are right. anymore in that moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even I know um, when I quit my job to stay home with my kids, that was kind of a weird thing because the first question people always ask you is what do you do mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I you know and I was like well am I a homemaker am I a home you know I, there's all the different titles and when my children were little and they were at home I felt that was better received but then when my kids went to school and I still say well I don't work I don't have a job I, I feel like sometimes there's a lot of judgment with our titles mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure yeah yeah well I can even think of a time when um my identity was in something. Um, when I was only 29 years old, I was diagnosed with cancer. And that's who I became at that point in my life. Um, my relationships were mostly with the people that I was, you know, going through chemo. So I spent a lot of time at the cancer center and people knew me as the girl with cancer. And I also had uh, little children and a newborn baby. And so people were very aware of my circumstance and that's really kind of who I became. And when I got better, and um, even though it was, um, I was really sick for about four years, but when I came out of that, it took me a very long time to figure out who I was, Julie, the well person, as opposed to Julie, the, the cancer person, which I know sounds crazy because you would think you would not want to be that. And I, I didn't want to be that person. I just had to figure out who I was without that as part of my life. And again, what you said, Sharon, my relationships really changed at that time. And um, it's weird when one of the people that you see the most and talk to the most is only in your life because they're a nurse or um, a medical care professional and you've really created some kind of a bond. And then when you don't really have that reason to see them anymore, it's, I I notice that as relationships change, it definitely uh, plays a part in making me feel unsettled um, about who I am. It's something that I've I've noticed throughout my entire life. Well, I think it's always difficult, no matter how we define ourselves, um, because again, we're the ones making that judgment. But thankfully, we have God's word, and yes. he tells us how he defines us. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, 
over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What do you guys think is the significance of being made in the image of God? (laughs) I think that is a very important question in understanding your identity in Christ. Um, Just looking to the purpose he had from the beginning when he created us, um, I feel like Understanding that can take a lifetime mm-hmm. for a believer for sure. to get comfortable in who they are in Christ. And it's almost, in Scripture, it talks about that that's a mystery. The mystery is being revealed to us. And, um, yeah. I think the fact that we have purpose, that, that when God... When God made us and made us in his image, He there are things about us that are just like God. We aren't God, and we're not exactly like God, but there are things in each of us that are like God. And I've noticed that as when we... Um, when we really uh, like tap into those parts of ourselves, um, I think we experience some of that purpose for which we were created. Um, I think about even just like the idea that God put creativity into humans um, in a way that's different than other creations. And we know that God is so creative and he's the creator and so when we're creating things or when we're being creative it's almost like we we're well we're not almost we are reflecting who God is and that's the entire reason that we were placed on the earth that's why we were created to reflect and to show who he is and so I think when we explore the ways that we are like him we are our most authentic selves, maybe. I think there is a time in the Christian life where you have to convince yourself of who God says that mm-hmm. you are. For sure. And you have to start to believe um, that you are loved and the view that he sees you as his child. I often, my story was a little bit different when we lived overseas. Um, we never went over on the platform As missionaries, we always went over on a different platform. So when we were in Africa, it was with an NGO, and we were helping that way. So we never, we always were taught to stay in your box and talk about what you want to talk about. And so in my box, there were lots of other details, but I could let people know who I was um, based off the audience I was speaking to. And so in Turkey... We were not there as missionaries. Uh, We were there as residents, but we were also writing a book on being a minority in the culture. And so we were able to stay in our box and share accordingly. And so... So you kind of, in a way, you you had to uh, represent yourselves in different ways depending on who you were talking to. Like often here, I don't introduce myself as a pastor's wife because then they're like, oh, we don't want to be friends with you. Don't want to talk to you. Yeah. (laughs) Oops. Yeah. But yeah. Is that, do you find that to be confusing or does it feel natural to you? No, I feel like it feels natural to me because that in and of itself is not who I am. Mm -hmm. 
I'm a child of God and I'm very confident in who I am. And I don't want to often be labeled and have them shut me off before they give me a chance. Sure. And vice versa. Mm -hmm. I understand that people um, let you in to who they are. Yeah, I like um, in the book on page 72, if you're reading along with us, that um, she talks about as image bearers of God, we too are called to show forth the glory, power, and might of our King. Our deepest sense of purpose and identity is so bound up in this calling that everything about our lives, from the work we do to the people we love to the place we live, all somehow connect back to him. And then in the next paragraph, I just thought this was so beautiful, that nothing less than God will satisfy you, nothing less will sustain you, and nothing less will suffice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in addition to being made in the image of God, and we are, but because of Adam's sin, we also bear the brokenness of his sin and his the transgressions. And so um, in Romans 5, um, it talks a lot about this. And um, I'm just going to read this part. It says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Um, apart from Christ, how does, um, how, what are we? What does the Bible say about our identity if we are not in Christ? Not good. Yeah. <laughs> True that. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, it describes us as weak. And on page 23, it says they reached out for independence, self determination, and freedom instead of, instead, grasp only sorrow, death, and confusion. And that to me just kind of um, solidifies what I see in culture that people are so busy trying to make much of themselves. Mm-hmm that they just end in confusion. Yeah. And just, yeah. Um, well, and there's, there's never, they're never satisfied. Right. It's never enough. And I'm the oldest one here, but one thing I've noticed is that you you don't stay the same person. Um, you're, you're always changing. Um, and who I was at 18 is different than who I was at 25 is different than who I was at 30. I mean, you're just always um, in different seasons of life. And so if those are the things that are defining you, you're, you're never sure of who you are. And just like she said, you're always grasping for something stable um, and you can't find it. Um, Life, I know when we were talking earlier about this passage, you um, brought up a really good um, thing going back to Adam and Genesis. And do you mind sharing that with us? Yeah. So in Central Asia and in a lot of Asian cultures, it's a shame and honor based culture. And so when you tell a story, sometimes you pull out different truths than maybe you would in another setting, not saying that we are heresy or anything. It definitely is the scriptures, but sometimes you put an emphasis on something else. And so when we um, share about Adam and Eve, it's called the first sacrifice story. And when I think of growing up the story of Adam and Eve, it would be more focusing on there was sin and there was a consequence. Adam and Eve sinned. They were separated from God. They had to leave the garden. Um, and that that kind of was um, what what tended to be 
um, emphasized. But when I was overseas in Central Asia, we when we would talk about, we would talk about how they did sin and they were separated from God and that they hid from God because they realized their sin and their nakedness and that God didn't leave them there in that, that there was a consequence. They did have to leave the garden, but before they did, he killed a lamb and they got to put on that lamb. And it's such a beautiful picture of Jesus is the lamb of God that we get to put on. We get to embrace his identity that we, our identity is always changing. Like Julie said, depending on what season we are in, but Christ isn't. And that is a constant. And we get to put on his righteousness and his sacrifice for our sin. And that is the constant that is never going to change for all of eternity. And that is absolutely incredible to think about. Ephesians 5.2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Um, how, what does it look like to be an imitator of God? We've been saying that, you know, that, that's our purpose, that we were created to reflect him. And I love that you gave that example, Blythe, because it's amazing to me that um, that God, everything God requires, he provides. Yeah. And he provided that all the way at the very beginning. Um, he provided for Adam and Eve, and he's still providing um, all, all along the way. So what does it look like for us, um, those of us who are um, Christians, what does it look like for us to be imitators of God? I was just struck by this um, this quote in the page 24. It's by Dietrich von Hildebrand, and it says, it will fling from us the last particle of self-glory. Mm-hmm. And when you look above in the text, it talks about how humans are consumed with pride and we refuse to know him. But then it starts like labeling all these adjectives of Christ, his kindness, his mercy, uh, he comes to redeem, and then it talks about his humility and his deep humility. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. He humbles himself, and um, he was becoming obedient. And then I often think our culture is just so prideful about any humility we might have in our own power. Um, I often times want to think I can do things in my own strength, and so I think just being renewed in the knowledge that he, through us, flings Mm -hmm. from us the last particle of of self-glory. Of our self, yeah. Our Mm self-glory. There's so many just amazing attributes of God, and, um, you know, even in that Ephesians, Ephesians 4.32 has always been one of my favorite verses, but you know, to be kind and compassionate, forgiving as God forgave us. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of how we can really reflect him is through our compassion, our kindness, and our forgiveness and really loving others. The way we love each other. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the primary ways that we, that we reflect him and imitate him. When I think about um, in that verse in Ephesians, it said, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And it makes me think about um, the picture that I see in my head is of my son, Nathan, who is 21 years old now. But when I picture him, he's about two and a half. And um, when 
Gary, it didn't matter what Gary was doing, Nathan was doing it. If Gary was shaving, Nathan was going to be shaving with a block or whatever he had. Um, I have a picture of him mowing behind Gary. Gary's pushing a mower. Nathan's pushing his mower. Um, Everywhere he would try to walk like Gary, if you've ever noticed, Gary always has a pencil in his ear. Nathan, when he was little, I mean, Mm -hmm. very little, he would get up put a pencil in his ear because he wanted to be just like daddy. He was enamored with his dad. And um, I think about that in our relationship with our father, with God, that we're beloved children and that when we look at him and when we know who he is, um, and uh, even for me, when I read the Psalms, it makes me just marvel at who God is and in be in awe of him. And when we keep our eyes on him, I think we are more tempted to, um, to imitate him and, um, to, to be his beloved children, um, to show the rest of the world. So how is it possible for us to live out that calling? We're not saying that it's easy, but, um, what are some of the things that you guys do that help you Keep your eyes focused on who God is so that you can rightly reflect him. I had a wise friend that one time asked me, she said, how are you speaking the gospel daily to yourself? Mm. And I really had never had that question before. And so I was like, like the Roman road, like I'm reciting (laughs) it. She's like, no, like what the, what are the truths of the gospel? You are beloved, that you are bought with a price, that you don't have to earn anything, that it was established before time began, your worth, and that you are not going to add to God's glory, nor take it away when you goof up. And she had me start listing out all of these truths that I needed to remember. And what I didn't realize is this is such a great discipleship moment that I didn't realize was happening, was that she was having me build in truths so that when hard times happen, they were known and known well, that I knew them like a snap, that when something happened or when Satan tried to whisper in my ear, look how much you messed up. Mm. Really, could you reflect God's glory Mm. and be like, no, I know the truth about this. Mm. I know the truth that I am forgiven and that this is not beyond redemption. And I am so thankful that she, she, very gently guided (laughs) me in that so that when I came up, because we will, we're going to bump up against hard times. It's a given that that was already established in my heart that I didn't, that I had already thought those things out. Yeah, that's good. What else? What are some other things that you guys do that, that help you keep your, your mindset on him? I mean, when I was feeling unsafe Mm -hmm. overseas, I would often just hum old hymns that I knew, mm-hmm. and that was very comforting me to me. And the peace you get when you know where to go, mm-hmm. when you know the words to say back to Christ, mm-hmm. when you know the scriptures from heart, when they're in there, and nobody can take those away from you, yeah. um, when you know the truths, and not to share with anyone else, but, I mean, I, I remember riding in a truck on a scary road with Drew, and I was praying and just the dependence that comes when you are unsure, when you feel weak, when you've been stripped away Mm -hmm. from your comfort and control of situations. And so I would find it in hymns and then I would find it in scripture that, yeah. 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 I think that, you know, um, 
scripture is so authoritative, and I, I think that's such a good place to be grounded. And something that's just recently been kind of working on me is just reliance more on the Holy Spirit. Um, the way I was raised, that wasn't really a forefront thing, but just learning more and more about the Holy Spirit and how he enables us mm. to do all of these things, that it's not within ourselves, that it's only through his power. Um, it's humbling, and I think that is just where I am right now. Yeah. Well, and that's the complete opposite of what the world teaches us because the world tells us that everything we need, we find within ourselves. And that you, every, I think that's one reason why we like personality tests is that we, we've believed in some ways this lie that if I just know myself better, then I'll be able to handle whatever. If I just know myself better and I focus on me, I also think we love the tests because we love ourselves and we love to talk about ourselves and we love to think about ourselves. And, um, and so I know that's why I, I shared earlier that Gary and I loved taking personality tests when we were first married. Um, and I know why it was because we loved each other and we loved to think about each other, talk about each other. It was, we wanted that to be the only thing on our minds. But in moments like you're talking about, Lindsay, and moments that we've all had, um, I, I know I don't have inside me what I need. What, what I need in those moments is I need a sure and steady foundation, and that's Jesus Christ. And I guess I do have it in me because I have the Spirit of God in me, but it doesn't come from me. It comes from Him, and so I'm really grateful of that. Have you guys, um, is there an example that you can think of about a time that um, things were really changing in your life and maybe it was not something that you wanted, but God brought about transformation in the midst of that unwanted change or transition? I think just having the realization that um, as we were nearing, entering the fourth year living in Turkey, that our family living there was not sustainable long-term and that God had a different plan for us. So we were very broken and dependent on God's direction in those moments. And we just had to go back and think of the last clear um, calling that God put on our lives and just mm -hmm. cling to that and know that we had to be obedient to that thing until God told us something different and he sure. wasn't telling us. Mm -hmm at the moment. I mean, we waited and waited and waited and we knew that we were supposed to move back to the States, but it's still, I mean, we didn't get here until five months after. Mm -hmm. And so that was very scary for our family. We had no idea how we were going to sustain ourselves financially. And so, but it was great. I mean, God brought us closer in our marriage and I think we often have to give ourselves pep talks that no matter if you have a job or don't have a job or if you have a place to live or if you have a calling and if you have um, a plan or if your plan fails, that that is not the defining yeah. essence of who you are. Yeah. Um, even in having a baby and going back to work, mm -hmm. begrudgingly I did it, yeah. but I did not want that to define me sure. either. Sure. And if it worked out, then that's 
the will I was going to walk in that God yeah. provided. So, Isn't it a comfort that we can't mess up his plan for right. our lives? It's such a comfort because I know there were times in my life when I was young where I really worried about that. I mm-hmm. thought that if I, if I just didn't make the right choice or the right decision, that I was just going to mess everything up for God. And, and sometimes you can be paralyzed in that. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yes. Yeah, you can. And um, it's such a comfort. Um, and the only reason that I know that that is isn't true is that um, I I came to know the character of God more, and I realized that I did not have the power to mess up what a sovereign God's plans were for my life, um, and so one of the one of the ways that my life has been transformed is learning some of the the true things about just who God is, um, because it it changes the way that I worship Him and the way that I trust Him when I know more about, about who he is. Um, you know, I said a minute ago that, you know, who we are, um, who we are later in life is not who we start out being. We're always changing and evolving and, and being different, but circumstances don't stay the same. Life, life changes. Things are thrown at us all the time. And in the very end of chapter two, um, the author says in moments of difficulty, confusion, and loss, God is stripping you of all the things you may reach out for instead of him. He's cutting and cleaning and crafting your life so that it can shine the light of his glory. Do not be afraid when this happens. Do not be afraid when the questions come and the things you once relied on don't satisfy you any longer. Do not be afraid when he comes to relieve you of your idols of identity. Do not be afraid because a good and powerful God is at work. He's coming to reclaim his own and he will not stop until you become your truest self, a woman whose life reflects the greatness and glory of her God. And um, it makes me think of the scripture in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that says, And we all, with unfailed face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And that's our prayer for us and for those who are listening, that, um, that we would become more like him and be transformed together. Amen. Thank you. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us um, on this episode of our podcast. Next time, we will be doing Chapter 3 about Child Beloved by the Father. At the beginning of this chapter, there's a quote by John Calvin that says, Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without the knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. Next week, we're going to begin with the knowledge of God, where it all begins. Thank you all, and we hope you have a good day.